0: to Authors on the Air. I'm your host Pam Stack. We're proud to be part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. My internet is a little wonky today, but I have a very special program for you. Let me just dial in one more guest before I tell you all about it. Don't go away. I think you're going to love this show. Hello. Hi, Wallace. This yes. is Pam from Authors on the Air. Hi. Folks, you are now live with Wallace Stroby, who is my guest host, and the wonderful, the incredible, the legendary Lawrence Black Block. Hi, Larry. How are you?
1: I'm good, Pam. Good to talk and to you.
0: Thanks so much for being here today. I, I'm so thrilled that you both are on the show. This is a very special in-conversation. Um, I want to tell you, first of all, that I am only the technician today. But Wallace Stroby, whose current book is some nameless, you know him because he's been on this show. He's an award-winning journalist and the author of The Devil's Share, Shoot the Women First, Kings of Midnight, Cold Shot to the Heart, Gone Till November, The Heartbreak Lounge, and The Barbwire Kiss, which has been nominated and won many awards. I'm turning this show over to Wallace Stroby so he can Uh-oh. tell you about L.B., Go ahead, man. It's your <laughs> turn. <laughs> uh,
2: well, um, we don't have enough time to go into uh, LB's uh, illustrious career, um, uh, but I can I can kick this right off because that kind of fades into uh, folds into my first question for for you, Larry. Um, you just turned eighty. You've got you You've got sixty some years in the business. Conservatively, about one hundred and twenty five bucks, right?
1: Uh, probably more than that, but I don't know. I, I honestly don't know.
2: Okay. Six-time Edgar Winner, including a Grandmaster Award. And coming up, I count two new anthologies you're editing, a new Matt Scudder novella next year, uh, a graphic novel adaptation of one of the earlier Scudder novels that came out earlier this year, and two new films. So how's your retirement going? <laughs> I've
1: I've made an an absolute hash of retirement. I uh, it it just doesn't seem to work for me.
2: Um, so you've tried and couldn't do it.
1: Well, it, I I never tried it. It has seemed to me from time to time as though I'm probably done um, with uh, at least with the heavy lifting, and that is uh, very likely true. I haven't done a full length novel in several years now, and I suspect I may be true with
2: that. Now, you've been writing so long, uh, since you were in your late teens, I would think, you know, most of your life, you define yourself by your work for so long and for so many years. Can you even imagine, though, a life in which writing isn't a part of it, in some fashion? No,
1: but e- even if I'm not writing it, it'll be a part of it. There's, uh, there's so many things that keep me uh, at my desk a certain number of hours every day. Uh, I'm, I'm doing a lot of, um, uh, of self-publishing. I've, uh, mm-hmm. developed something that's, that's very interesting. I was annoyed that some of my, uh, books just weren't getting the foreign sales that they, that they used to.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I've teamed up with translators in Germany and Spain and Italy, uh, at, on a, a shared revenue basis, to translate the books and self-publish them, so mm-hmm. that's been interesting. I, I don't know that, um, that it's particularly profitable, but it it, it fills uh, powers in an interesting fashion.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about the about the new Scudder novella, uh, A Time to Scatter Stones? Right, and it's sure. out. Uh, it's out in um, January or February
1: end of January, end of January uh, Subterranean okay. Press will be doing a, a hardcover trade and limited edition and I'll be doing it in uh, e-book and uh, several months later probably uh, sometime in the spring I'll bring out a paperback as well it's, um, it's a Matthew Scudder novella it runs about I think close to 30,000 words but I don't remember the exact number and it's uh, set in present time, and you know I decided fairly early on, or it decided, it, the decision made itself, but that uh, Matthew Scudder would age in real time,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and consequently, uh, you know the uh, the poor son of a bitch is as old as I am at this point, and uh, that that. <clears throat> I, I think aging in real time is a mistake for all of us, but certainly uh, in some respects for fictional characters because, you know, here's this uh, detective action hero who was really a little long in the tooth for leaving tall buildings in a single bound. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I figured it was time, it was probably time for him to have a rest. and uh, And then, then this came together and it's uh, I I had a great deal of enjoyment writing it It, as I said it's set in the present it's set in uh, when Scudder is recruited to uh, come to the aid of a young friend of his wife Elaine's um, who is trying to quit prostitution, not -hmm. Elaine. She quit quite a few years ago. But this is a a young woman who's uh, quitting the game and who has a client who won't let her get out Mm -hmm. and is is menacing her. And um, I realized that this was a case that only someone like Scudder could do anything about. Uh, the the police certainly would just shine her on you know the uh and in the books Scudder uh, points out years ago he could go to the to the cops with this when he had friends on the forest but now mm-hmm. uh, that that would get him nowhere and it would get her nowhere and an order of protection uh, would be useless and so on mm-hmm. so uh i i had him in something where where his uh, participation made sense to me, and then I just uh, I just wrote the thing and, and liked the way it came out. I think it's uh, it's just about the right length for the story. I don't think it would have served to stretch it out to uh, full novel length.
2: So would you call that a novella at that length?
1: Yes, yes. Yeah. That uh, that seems to be the going term.
2: Now, his, uh, that kind of um, leads to my next question. Scudder's journey has been, I mean, far from direct. I mean, you you stopped writing about him several times. I think the first book was 76, right, Sins of the Fathers? That's right.
1: Uh
2: And there's been, what, 17 novels and a short story collection about him. That's right. But there were often big gaps. Now, I, you probably don't even remember this, but I interviewed you once back in 1987, not that long after uh, when the sacred gin mill closes for a, a newspaper piece.
1: And you at that point at said that uh,
2: <laughs> you at that point said that you were done writing with him writing about him, that you were pretty certain you'd said all you had to say.
1: Well uh, it seemed that way. It also seemed that way before I wrote When the Sacred Jim O'Clauses because after Eight Million Ways to Die it felt as though, uh, as though while uh, that was the fifth book and while each of them was each of the five was a novel in and of itself. In a sense the five books constitute uh, a big novel with a a revolution a revelation and a conspiracy mm-hmm. and a and a, and a resolution and then, and I uh, thought I'd unfortunately brought things to the point where my characters uh Tetra had no raison, as you might say. And, uh, you know, that he'd solve the central problem or come to terms with the central problem in his existence, and uh, why why write more about him? And uh, when The Sacred Dreamer closes with a, a flashback novel that, uh, that worked well and is is uh, the favorite book in the series for a lot of people, but it looked like a dead end. Uh, we yeah. couldn't have, I couldn't have uh, him doing flashbacks forever that that we we all know uh fronts like that who, who keep telling you the same story over and over and I I didn't want that and it took several years of letting it lie fallow and not even thinking about it when I realized that yes I could write more about Scotty so um I think I think I've been very fortunate in a couple of things as far as the, the Matthew Scudder series is concerned. One is that I haven't pushed it. When uh, there hasn't been a book to write, I haven't tried to write one.
2: Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's
1: good, because otherwise this would have burned out and, and gone away a long time ago.
2: Yeah, what's interesting is that when you did go back to writing about him, um, uh, Cutting Edge, was that the first one when, yes. you, when you went back? The 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 uh, run of books that followed that Walk Among the Tombstones, Dance at the Slaughterhouse, Devil Knows You're Dead, are not only some of the best in the series, but some of your strongest work. So I mean, when you came when you Thank came you. back to him, you were you know you were uh, you were uh, suited up. Uh, yes. Did you feel that that sense of energy? Because those books are pretty much back to back. I mean, you were writing other stuff in between, but
1: no, they were just about a book a year for a stretch there. That's yeah. that's, that's very true. Um they they just something really energized me I guess because um uh, I agree that they're the stronger uh um certainly among the stronger books in the series and they were they came one right after another for a stretch mm mm-hmm.
2: Mhm. You wanna talk a little bit about um about this great graphic novel adaptation of Eight Million Ways to Die which uh John Snyder did, which really came out well. I've seen the book. I have the book.
1: Um, I'm absolutely crazy about it. It, The deal began to come together, I think, about, I think it was was six or seven years ago, anyway, uh, when um, IDW wanted to um, option the right to do, I think, at the time, they were thinking in terms of two Matthew Scudder books as graphic novels. And um, I didn't pay a whole lot of attention to it to tell you the truth. I didn't think much about it. My agent said uh he he thought it couldn't hurt, and i figured um like almost all subsidiary rights deals that one gets involved with it would um it would go away that nothing would yeah. come of it um and I didn't think that much of the medium of graphic novels, I must confess, uh, I was was never a fan. The ones that I read seemed it mm-hmm. seemed like a, a an, an almost juvenile format to me, mm-hmm. and I didn't have objection really to having my work published in that medium. It, all it could do was add readers; it wasn't going to alienate any. But uh, but I didn't I didn't give it much thought, and when uh, when suddenly early this year the word came that the book was complete and it was going to be published and everything, I had had hadn't had a conscious thought of it in years. I thought that was completely dead in the water, and then they sent me a PDF of the thing, and it was terrific. I never expected to be. Uh, to be crazy about it the way I was Uh, John Snyder is a spectacular artist Uh, he's also really you have to call him a writer Uh, he he wrote all all the the text for the adaptation and his fidelity to the book astounded me Um, you know he's getting uh, the entire novel into Far fewer pages and far fewer words than, than I used. and not much is left out, uh, and and everything feels right, and it even looks like New York in 1982. You know, it, it, in my mind, he did everything right, so I wound up being an enormous uh, fan of the book. Uh, and by extension, uh, a, a fan of the medium to the extent that this is a representative of the medium. And I just hope uh, that he'll get to do some more. Um, we will We will see how that happens.
2: Yes, it's very evocative, especially of the New York of that period, which at the time that you wrote the novel was contemporary and is now almost a period piece, looking back on it.
1: Absolutely true, yes. Yes. Uh,
2: um, but it really sort of it really sort of nails that. I was very impressed with the book when I saw it too. I had a similar um, reactions in the past to to that format. Well, I'd never really thought something clicked, but uh, this book I definitely felt was uh, was a step in almost a different direction. And yeah, yeah it boils down a lot of the you know what's a fairly complex and at that time I think it was the longest Scudder book by far.
1: By far, yes, it was double yeah. the length of the ones that went before it.
2: But he managed to capture all the major beats of it, and the tone, and the emotional tone, as well as the plot. Yep. Uh, which a lot of it he did with uh, with the artwork. Mm-hmm. So, is are there plans to do more in that medium? Are you interested now in doing more in that medium? We're,
1: I'm. I'm very interested. John is very interested. He would really like to do more. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what book we would do next, and I don't know whether a deal will come together or not. Yeah. Um, it, it, we're we're waiting to see.
2: You know, it struck me. Um, speaking of eight million ways to die, which is, you know, a very strong example of this, is that a lot of the scudder books, actually, I would say all the scudder books, they're they're very much about mortality and the Good. randomness of fate. I mean, it's even in the titles. Um, and as I said to you once, reading those books in my nineteen in my twenties. Uh, very different from rereading them recently, which I've done in my 50s. They're almost different books now. Uh, What once seemed maybe an overly hard-boiled, affected attitude about life and death now seems like a more accurate reflection of the way the world really is.
1: Mm -hmm. Uh,
2: So how old were you when you first started writing those?
1: Well, I started the first got a book in seventy three or four I think it was, so I was whatever I was thirty five yeah
2: so he's been and,
1: uh,
2: yeah so you've he's sort of been the companion for uh for yourself i mean you've checked in with him at various periods of his life and your life
1: right right we're we're about the same age though i didn't i didn't even think much about that when I started writing the books i i mm-hmm. If anything, probably thought he was a couple of years older than I. Mm-hmm. But uh, and and I never had to be specific. There was never ever a reason to be, until a book called The Long Line of Dead Men, okay. which is so completely about or so largely about uh, aging and mortality and the passage of time mm-hmm. that uh, to be non-specific about Scudder's age and and all of that struck me as evasive. Okay. Uh, and I've had to figure out how old he was, and I really had to figure out because I didn't know.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: I thought, I thought about it, and I thought back, and I thought, the president, and I thought, you know, uh, if if he's the same age as I am, then I'll never have to figure it out again. <laughs> so that. <laughs>
2: uh, so, so I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, for someone who's had such a dedicated fan base for so many years, I mean, there are people that have literally been reading you since you were first published. Um, is there ever a conflict, do you feel, between what you need to do creatively for yourself and giving your readers, you know, you're, you're imagining them out there and you've been in contact with them, giving your readers what they want or think they want, either from mm-hmm. the author or from the characters or from which characters they write about, you write about?
1: I really don't think I pay attention to that. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's it's hard to know what one does unconsciously. But uh, I really just try to write what I want to write. And I I think uh, doing that uh, serves all of us best. But it also is uh, it i'm I'm spoiled. I can only write what I want to write.
2: Mhm. You mentioned to me once you had pushback from the editor on the, on the Scudder novel The Devil knows you're Dead because Matt has an affair despite the fact
1: right he committed a relationship right.
2: with Elaine I, I mean is there a... <laughs> right
1: right. The editor had a nice woman in that, and she 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 just couldn't understand it here. Scudder has this really good thing going with Elaine and he for the client, and continues to to do so and she, she said why, why on earth would he do that what what's the matter why you know how can you have him do it and I said uh, men are like that get used to it <laughs> and, and and I don't think she really too much wanted to hear that but uh, i I just um, I've always been inclined to follow whatever my instincts are about what the, what the character should do how the character feels any anything like that. Um, I can't imagine that the books would work as well if I didn't.
2: Yeah, it seems to me with that book that that Matt having an affair is actually plays in very much with the theme of the book which is, you know, we're all looking for uh, we're all looking for something uh, we're all looking for an escape hatch we're all we're all looking for uh you know some place we can go where things aren't as cold and um i mean i think that really you know the, there's a parallel story in there with a friend of his who's ill who wants a who wants a, a gun to possibly kill herself or not or just right. have it yeah. around and that seems to tie in with what's going on with Matt in that book as well
1: That's that that's fun. I I I never thought of it in those terms, but I I think uh I think that makes sense.
2: Yeah. Now these uh let's talk about these two new anthologies you have. Now are, are they coming out at the same time, simultaneously, or?
1: No, I think the uh, the one you're in, uh, at home in the dark, of uh, Subterranean will be publishing that, and I believe fairly early in the year, um and. 2019 I think oh late winter or early spring would be my guess Mm -hmm. I know the the cover art is uh just about ready and uh I've turned in all of the content so I think we're in good shape and Bill likes to move rather quickly Bill Schaefer at Soterranean Press is going to be doing this and uh the other um from Sea to Stormy Sea which is the third uh, art-linked anthology preceded by uh, uh, In Sunlight or in Shadow which is uh, stories based on Edward Hopper's paintings and then um, uh, Alive in Shape and Color which is uh, various artists uh, whose work is reproduced uh, whose. And the paintings that inspired the uh, the seventeen stories in that book, and this new one uh, from sea to Stormy Sea is uh, limited. It's uh, just American artists, and instead of giving people free reign, I picked a selection of representative paintings and let people choose among them. I picked about thirty paintings for and. Uh, and there will be uh, 17 stories. Can
2: mm-hmm. And say some of the contributors? Uh,
1: uh, sorry?
2: Uh, some of the contributors to that book? Who
1: oh, that let me think. Uh, I always go blank on a question like that, and of course I don't have anything written down that that's at hand, but um, Jane Hamilton has a story in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, my god, who else? Barry Maltzberg. Mhm. Um Gary Phillips. Uh, and I have no idea why I've gone so blank on the whole contest page. And they're wonderful stories.
2: <laughs> I'll just tell you that. How and it, have you found the uh the editing process being being an editor on the anthology? I mean you've done a bunch. Yes. Um, how, I how don't do edit
1: sound? a lot mm-hmm. uh, I I don't edit a lot um, and I've found it pretty okay every once in a while and in this latest anthology there were two stories from, that just didn't work at all
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I couldn't get anywhere and I, I paid those contributors a kill fee and uh that we let it, we have to let it go, but that that hadn't happened before. Um, and uh, a couple of times, I've uh, I've come up with suggestions uh, for writers for changes, um, but nothing major. Mm-hmm. I really uh, have no desire to be either. Maxwell Perkins or Gordon Lish you know. It, uh, <laughs> well, you've, uh,
2: written, you've written eight books, I think eight books for writers. And for many years you did a reading like that, for yeah. Writers digest magazine. So the question remains, uh, can writing be taught? Is it something that's teachable?
1: Well, it's something that's learnable. Um and I think <laughs> All the teaching of writing can do is somehow foster an environment in which somebody uh, can learn. Mm-hmm. You you ultimately teach yourself. Uh, there are things you know. There's differences uh, between a visual artist, an instructor can teach you how to mix colors, how mm-hmm. to do underpainting, how to do various things. That you wouldn't know how to do without being taught. Uh, with writing, the the process is self-evident. How did you do this? Well, I took these words and I put them in this particular order. Mm-hmm. You know, you look at a book and uh, there's no there's no underpainting there that you you have to be able to grab. It's uh, it, it's mm-hmm. what you see. Uh, that doesn't mean that um, it's easy to make it happen.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems to me there's there's no uh, that the advice r- would really come in handy with somebody who's already involved in the process. Mm-hmm. To I mean, there's no advice you can give that's going to get somebody into a chair for two or one or two or three or four hours uh, a day, or to get the level of uh, concentration needed.
1: Right. Right, and not not everybody really wants to concentrate that way. Mm -hmm. You know, a a lot of people would like to be writers, just as uh, any number of us would would really like to be rock stars. (laughs) It's it's not that that easy to, to make it happen, and it's not something that absolutely everybody is capable of.
2: Uh, as a writer I think what I've learned from your work, especially the, the uh, Scudder novels, which I as I read, you know, the majority of those in my twenties when I was in sort of in my formative years and just absorbing everything that I was reading. Um, I think one of the things I've learned which I've carried into my own work, I hope, is to is to set it up immediately, in the first pages if you can. Uh, set up the problem, the mystery the right way, and fill in the tone and the setting and the atmosphere as you go along. Um I notice on a lot of those Scudder books, that plot is set in motion really within the first few pages. Uh, you know, he gets a call for help, or in the other novels, you know, uh, the non-Scudder novels, a drifter gets into trouble, usually women trouble, in a small town. Um, it's an almost classical approach, isn't it? It's like the key is uh, introduce, develop, resolve. And I think when people ask about When people ask me about, aspiring writers ask me who they should read, I tell them to read Elmore Leonard and Richard Price for Dialogue, and I tell them to read you for Craft and Structure.
1: Huh. Interesting. Well,
2: it's probably very very organic for you. You probably don't even think about it, I would imagine.
1: No, I can't. Um, I, I don't... No, uh... Uh, a model I use is, uh, to explain how, how I write books and also it also works for how my characters solve crimes uh, is the uh, the uh, moron who found the lost horse when nobody else could. And they asked him how he'd manage that. And he said, well, I just asked myself, if I was the horse, where would I go? And, and that's how I write. That's how my characters live their lives. Um, no, I, I trust that there's a, an underlying structure in in the the novels, but I don't think in those terms when I write it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I remember Don Westlake and I were talking one time about uh, about the term subplot. And I I said, you know, what is that exactly? And he said, he said, I don't know. He said, I've wondered myself. He said, I think it's what the characters are doing when they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. (laughs) (laughs) And that that was okay. I sort of got that. No, but I, I I sometimes. uh, feel a bit of an idiot savant when it comes to writing. I really, it it seems strange because I write books on on the craft. But um, there's an awful lot that I do that I don't know what I'm
2: doing. Mm -hmm. I think the influence on me in that respect has been, uh, I feel if I'm not setting the story up in the first few pages, I'm not doing it right. Mm. Um. Because even though, uh, you know, in your work, as evocative as it is, especially the New York books, and you've set, you know, many, many, many books in New York, um, you know, that plot is set in motion fairly early. And then the the atmosphere tends to be blended in kind of naturally with it, as opposed yeah. to like long descriptions of uh, the city or weather or something like that.
1: Yeah, I, I didn't really get things started right away.
2: You know the world has really
1: changed over time. I I remember when I was reading, I think it was a study in Scarlet. I think it was the first uh, Holmes
2: mm-hmm.
1: novel, and and I read the, the first through that, in which essentially nothing happens. Mm-hmm. It's a long stretch, and it it sort of sets the scene and is. Uh, or something like that but the story doesn't start at all not at all and it was was, was all a good maybe eight or ten thousand words as I remember
2: change the way people view narrative now I think is is probably a lot different from then um, oh and, sure I, I mean have you found yourself having to make alterations in your work have you gone back and thought it's not, it's not moving fast enough or it's not vivid enough or it's not something or other that would take it out of that organic feeling and more into a craft thing
1: no I don't think I don't think so I, I can't recall ever doing that
2: mm-hmm.
1: um and I, I suppose uh, the world of publishing has, has changed, and the, the uh, it's all uh, changed some since uh, I've been doing it. But I don't know how differently I write now from when I when I uh, began.
2: You've you've wholeheartedly embraced social media. Um... And how has that? Does that feel like? I mean, you enjoy that, I'm, I imagine, or you wouldn't be doing it. Um, how do you find that's worked out for you? Do you, th- do you think? It, I mean, is it is it something that's essential or is it something that's secondary? I guess.
1: Well, it's certainly secondary. I don't know to what extent. Um, sometimes I I think I would serve myself better by getting off both of those things and staying off, you know. But it's something to do when one's playing with one's phone.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Gentlemen, I I I want to I want to step in here, and I'm sorry to do that because we're we have like five minutes left, and I want to ask you both some questions. Um, LB, I've been a friend, a fan of yours, forever, and I love all your work. Um, I wonder if you could tell me how do you perceive the industry from when you first began to where you are, where you are today. What has changed substantially in your mind?
1: Uh, I'm not sure what you mean, uh, Pam. Uh,
0: well, in other words, when you first were published. Um, You know, were you heavily promoted? Was it easy for you to get into bookstores? Um, Did did you have to have an agent? You know, I, I hear questions from younger writers all the time who think that the good old days have passed them by. I wonder if that's true. Is publishing the same then as it is now, other than the fact that the houses have all consolidated?
1: uh well, the fact that the houses have all been consolidated is an- extraordinary change in and of itself um mm-hmm. but um you know i I think it's very difficult for new writers now, and I think it has always been very difficult mm-hmm. um I think it always is in the arts and i i think uh, uh a high bar is probably inevitable and probably a good thing.
0: Interesting. Um, Wallace, I want to ask you a question. Um, you've not been writing as long as, as LB has. I think he's the, you <laughs> know, quite, the no. mass, the master of the written word, obviously. And, and why so many people always say they read his books for writers, which is a very common theme with authors I interview. Um. uh, are you going to write as long as as, as Larry's writing?
2: Uh, I would I would hope uh, uh, from your lips to God's ears, as they say. Uh, Larry's one of my uh, uh, idols in that sense because he has he has kept going uh, very strongly uh, for a long long period of time, which is a rare thing. Uh, there's not it many is, other writers indeed. who have done that. Uh, James Lee Burke has also. I think yes. he's actually yeah. a little older than you, Larry, by one
0: or two years. Um,
1: yeah, just, just a year or two. I haven't seen Jim in a long time.
0: He'll yeah. be back here in January. He comes every January to the show. I'm really excited about that. Um, I I want to just kind of close off with uh, saying, first of all, LB, I, I understand about Facebook. I think if I didn't have this network to manage that I wouldn't be on it either. Um, it is a, an exercise in frustration for sure. Um, but... Uh, but thank you for coming on the show, despite that. And it was such a pleasure to meet you both at Thrillerfest and Bouchercon this year. And I'm delighted that um, you've emailed me. I can, I'm like framing those emails. So I'm hanging on to them, saying, "I know, <laughs> <Lauren>. <laughs> I know, Larry Block." You know, <laughs> and that's a pretty cool thing. Wallace, you, this is now um, your third visit to my show. Uh, once when we interviewed. Uh, one-to-one. And then at BoucherCon, you you generously stepped in and gave us some really great advice. And now as host uh, to LB here, um, what's next for you?
2: Uh, As a... uh, uh, In terms of hosting? I don't know. Um...
0: Well, you can come and host anytime you want. (laughs) What's going on? I'm glad to open up the studio to you. Uh, Are you... Are you ready to release another book anytime soon?
2: Uh no, I'm working on a new book, uh, which is another mm-hmm. standalone. Uh, okay. and I promised my editor at at Mulholland some pages uh next month, so I'm I'm starting to get a little paranoid about that and you know
1: um, let me jump in for one second, Pam, just sure. to say that Wallace uh <laughs> did a Chris a Stone story for uh, at Home in the Dark and it is just wonderful. Uh, uh, I've been crazy about the character since since the first uh, one that I read, and uh, I'm I'm so glad to have that story in the book. Well,
0: thank you. Well, I can't wait to read the book, too, when it's out. Um, I want to tell you both how much I appreciate you taking time from your busy schedules to be here. You are my birthday present to me today. I want you to know that. Um, I I stayed home because I so wanted to talk to you both. And I want to thank you. You've absolutely made my 29th birthday a joy uh, or the the anniversary of my 29th birthday, a joy. And I hope that you'll both come back. And if I don't talk to you earlier, I wish you the happiest holidays, and with my gratitude, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, birthday. Pam. Uh, uh, thank you, and, and folks, that's the end of our show for now. I'll be back in a little while with Lou Burney, another e- exciting author that I can't wait to talk to. Lawrence Block and Wallace Stroby, you know where to look for them. Just Google their names, and all of their information comes up. Thank you so much, gentlemen, and we'll talk again soon. Have thank a great you. day. Cool. righty. All right, thank you, and thank you, Mom and Dad.